Welcome to another message from Columbus First Assembly. Thanks for listening as we strive to learn and live the word and ways of God. Our hope is that you're encouraged by today's message. I've been struggling as I've been putting this message together. How do you describe the indescribable? How do you describe the indescribable? I've entitled the message, Unimaginable Love, and this morning and next week, we're going to talk about God's love, what it is and how it's expressed. And we came up with a word as we went through a thesaurus of all kinds of words, and finally I landed on unimaginable, because you really can't imagine what God's love is like. It's indescribable. But the problem is, how do you describe something that's indescribable? And so I've been wrestling with this and wrestling with this and wrestling this with, and it dawned on me that the problem I have in describing something indescribable is the same problem God had in describing something that was indescribable. Because his love is unimaginable. His love is indescribable, yet God had to communicate to us. And the exact same way that God communicated to us is the way I'm going to communicate. And that is, he showed us, he talked to us, he told us about it. So this morning, we are going to look at God's word and the examples God gave so that we can begin to understand how he expresses and what his love is like. Now, I have a second problem. My second problem is this. How can I help people understand and accept something that's too good to be true? Because all of us have been burned by someone who offered us something that was too good to be true. So when a preacher comes along and presents something that's indescribable, unimaginable, our natural reaction is to say, that just sounds too good to be true. That's what happened to me this past week. I was online searching for an item. An item that sells for about $250. And I couldn't find anybody running the item on sale. And uh, so I was looking online and then I saw it. $113. Or the item that everybody else was selling for right around $250. And I thought, I found it. So I went to the site and it said, in stock. Yes, in stock. But I did something. I checked the reviews. And guess what? First review said, it's a scam. Sounds too good to be true because it is. They're going to tell you that it's backordered. And they're going to tell you it's going to take an extra 30 days to get here. And in that 30-day period, they're going to take your money. And because it's beyond 30 days, they're not going to refund it. And you're going to wait, and you're going to wait, and you're going to wait, and you're going to wait. And I thought, why did I even bother going to the site? Because I know if it sounds too good to be true... It probably is too good to be true. But the problem is this. I'm going to talk to you this morning. I'm going to talk to you at home about something that's too good to be true. But it is true. And you're going to want to sit back and say, I'm not so sure. Pastor, prove it. I'm going to do my best. But I want to give you permission to question. I want to give you permission to sit back and say, Pastor, Prove it to me. And I'm going to fail in proving it. But the reason I give you permission is that is exactly the way that I responded when I really heard about the love of God. See, I grew up in a church system, in a religious system, 
where I was told I had to earn God's love. God's love was contingent on me being good enough. God's love was contingent upon me doing the things that the church said I needed to do, and if and when I did them, then God would love me. But that's not how God revealed his love in the scripture. And so when I first heard about this unimaginable love, I had to sit back and say, nah, no, 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 that's not what I was taught, and that just doesn't make sense to my mind. Why would God love me when I do this, say this, think this? Nah, this can't be true. And I kind of sat back, and say, okay, preacher, prove it to me. Prove it to me. And the preacher explained, and I thought about it, but one specific thing happened. I opened my heart, and God began to convince me of the truth. So before I even try and prove anything, before I even go to God's word, before I even share with you what I have this morning, if you're one who has grown up or really doubts that God's love could truly be as good as he says it is, then what we're going to do today, you may be home, you may be in this building. I'm going to pray, and if you would pray this prayer, I believe God will help you to understand his unimaginable love supernaturally. Father, I've got some words to share. I've got some scripture to talk about. But Lord, this is such good news that we will need a supernatural understanding that only you can give. And I pray that that would happen. And for those who are home, those who are here, that have difficulty with imagining that your love could be as good as you say that it is, I pray that you help them. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to see how far we get today. Hopefully I'll get through all of part one. If not, I'll pick it up next week and we'll just continue. But there's one word one word God chose in the Greek language to describe the love he has for people. It is a word that our English Bibles translate love. But English does not come close to capturing the depth of this love that God has for us. So today, we're going to go on a little journey, both into the Greek language and into the New Testament, to try to unpack the love God has for people. And here's what I have found out personally. When you and I begin to comprehend God's love for us, it changes us, and it impacts how we respond to God. See, remember, I grew up in a church system. I grew up in a church system that told me I had to earn God's love, and it, it affected the way that I responded to God, because if I had to earn God's love, that means I had to do this or not do this, and I had to say this, and I had to pray this, and I had to do those things, and then God would love me, and I failed all the time. And then I found out what God's word really says about his love, and it changed me, but it changed the way that I related to him. So, here we go. A little background in your notes. There are four different Greek words for love. Four different Greek words for love. So here we go. The first one is this. It's eros. It's sexual love. It's sexual love. Now, the Bible never uses this word in the context of marriage. The word eros in the Bible describes a self-seeking, self-gratifying, self-satisfying, and self-pleasing type of sexual appetite which is found primarily in unbelievers. It's where we get the word erotic. This is not a God-pleasing type of love as described in the Bible. 
It's primarily in the Bible describing unbelievers. It's not to be found among Christians, although unfortunately it is and has been throughout the ages. Eros is self-seeking, self-gratifying, self-satisfying, and a self-pleasing type of love. The second word that the Bible, or that the uh, Greek language uses for love is called stergo. And if you have studied Greek, I did not go take any Greek classes. Um, I go to experts, I read books, but I haven't taken any Greek classes, so if I mispronounce these words and you know how to pronounce them better, please forgive me. Stergo is a love that exists between members of the family, and this word is rarely used in the New Testament. I believe it's used once or twice only. So you won't find this word very often. The third type of love is filio. This is a word for affection. The affection which exists between friends or between a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Most often, this is translated in the Bible, affection. It's not translated love. It's translated affection. It's filio. And then the last word is agape. This is the New Testament word used to depict the love of God. It's agape. And God chose this word. But he did more than choose this Greek word. He redefined this Greek word in the New Testament. Agape was a word that was used in classical Greek. It was used in literature. But don't go to Greek literature and see how it was used to get a definition of agape because agape, God chose to totally redefine it in the New Testament. It is, in, nowadays, considered the God type of love. It's agape, love. But God redefined it for us in the New Testament because Greek literature did not have any understanding of what God wanted it to mean. So the Holy Spirit chose this word, and then working through inspiration, through the, through the writers of the New Testament, expressed ideas about this word that were previously unknown in the culture. God redefined agape in the New Testament. And throughout te the New Testament, the word is used in ways that help us to understand how God wanted us to look upon his love, which is agape. And this is what we're going to talk about today. God's agape love. It is so wonderful, so abundant, so overwhelming that it's unimaginable. And by the end of this message, my desire is that you would just say to yourself, that's too good to be true. But it is true, and I am so happy about it. So, I want us to go to the Scripture. All the Scriptures will be coming up on the screen this morning, so you don't have to follow along your devices. But the first one is from 1 John 4, 8. John is now writing at the end of his life. 1 John 4, 8, the, term in, the, the, the Scripture says, God is love. God is love. John is the last of the apostles to be alive. This whole concept of agape, Jesus talked about it. The Holy Spirit inspires the writers to talk about it. And as John is writing now from prison, he's at the end of his life. It's about 50 years since the resurrection. He writes to the church, God is love. Basically what he says is God is agape. It doesn't mean God feels this. God is agape. God is agape. It is his character to be this. So let's see if we can define as best we can what God is, what this agape is. And as I said, I'm using materials from students and scholars of New Testament Greek and the Bible itself. This is the best definition that I found. It was actually this definition that stirred my heart to preach this message. It comes from Rick Renner, Reverend Rick Renner. And he says this, 
about agape. The human race was so precious to God, and he loved man so deeply that his heart was stirred to reach out and do something to save him. God's love drove him to action. You see, agape loves so profoundly that it knows no limits or boundaries in how far, wide, high, and deep it will go to show that love to the recipient. If necessary, agape love will even sacrifice itself for the sake of the object or person it so deeply cherishes. Now think about that for yourself. Agape love so so pro, agape loves so profoundly that it knows no limits or boundaries in how far, wide, high, or deep it will go to show love to you and I, the recipients of God's love. That means that God's love for you knows no boundaries, and he will go to the depths to show love to you. Here's something you need to understand. Whether you believe it or you don't believe it, you cannot escape God's love. It is always poured out to you, and you are always walking in it. So in your notes, I have four or five statements that I want to make and talk about a little bit. The first one is this. Agape depicts the highest, finest, and most noble kind of love. Agape describes the highest, finest, and most noble kind of love. This is God's love for us. The second is this. Agape love is more focused on giving than it is on receiving. Agape love is more focused on giving rather than on receiving. <clears throat> John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Reading from the New Living. For this is how God loved, or this is how God agaped. This is how God agaped the world. He gave. Remember, agape love is more focused on giving than it is on receiving. He gave his one and only son. And I want to encourage you maybe to write on your notes something else. You might always also write down that agape is sacrificial. He gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. That's agape. That's love. God agaped the world that he gave his one and only son. He sacrificed, and Jesus himself sacrificed for this, for us. Why would God do this? Why would he give his son? Did he have some kind of moral obligation? Did he have some kind of heavenly obligation? Was he trying to prove something to someone? No, he did it. He gave his only son because he loved. Now think about it for yourself for a moment here. Think about God giving his son, his only son. There are those for whom I might give my life for. But if you asked me to make a list of those for whom I would kill my son or my daughter, the list would be blank. But God's list contains the name of every person who has ever lived. Your name was on that list. My name was on that list. That person that you can't stand was on that list. 
God was willing to sacrifice his son for you, for them, for me. We were on that list because that's what agape does. That's the scope of agape love. This is the reason for the cross. For God so agape the world that he gave his only begotten son. Number three in your notes, agape is love with no strings attached. There's no strings attached to his love. Number three. Agape is love with no strings attached. It is not looking for what it can get, but for what it can give. And God demonstrated this. So he's redefining this love by what he did through Jesus, by how he responds to us. 1 John 3, verse 1 says, See how very much our Father loves, or how very much our Father agapes us. For he calls us his children, and that is what we are. 1 John 3, 16 says, we know what real love, we know what real love, what agape is, because Jesus gave up his life for us. It's love with no strings attached. It's not looking for what it can get, it's looking for what it can give. Think about it. God's reason, or excuse me, God's love is the reason your heart is beating right now. God's love is the reason you're breathing. God's good news is that he loves you on your good days as much as he loves you on your bad days. He loves you when you can feel his love, and he loves you when you can't seem to feel his love. He loves you regardless of whether or not you deserve his love. There is nothing you can do that will make God stop loving you. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. There is nothing you can do that can make God stop loving you. See, I grew up in a religious system that said there was all kinds of things I could do that would make God stop loving me until I got it right with him, until I confessed it properly, until I did the right things. God's love and I were separated, and that is not what agape is described in the Bible. That is not God's love. There is nothing you can do that will make God stop loving you. You could try, but you simply can't do it because his love for you is based upon his character and not on anything you do or say or feel. Agape love is unimaginable. Number four, agape love is compelled to shower love upon that object or person regardless of the response. Agape love is compelled. Compelled, it's just who God is. He, he really doesn't have a choice because that's who he is. Agape love is compelled to shower love upon that object or person regardless of the response. Agape is a divine love that gives and gives and gives even if never responded to, thanked, or acknowledged. It is love that isn't based on response but on a decision to keep on loving regardless of the recipient's response or lack of response. In the book of Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, the Bible says this. Again, this is all the way that God chose to define his love. He used the scripture. He used examples. When we were utterly helpless, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would be willing to die for an upright person though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great agape, his great love for us, by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5 says, For God is so rich in mercy, and he agaped us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have saved. 
God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. Many years ago, there was a little guy by the name of Chad. Chad was a shy, quiet young fella. And one day he came home and he told his mom that he would like to make a valentine for everyone in his class. And when Chad said that to his mom, her heart sank. Her Chad was just not like the other kids. And she thought to herself, I wish he wouldn't do that because when she would watch the children coming home from school, they walked home from school and they would come by her house, her Chad was always behind the other kids. They laughed and they hung on each other and they talked to each other, but Chad was never included. He was always back here. But she decided to go along with her son. So she purchased paper and glue and crayons. And for three whole weeks, night after night, Chad painstakingly made 35 individual valentines for every single person in his class. And Valentine's Day dawned, and Chad woke up beside himself with excitement. He carefully stacked all of the valentines, making sure that everyone was there. He slipped them into his little bag that he was going to carry to school, and he went to school that day. His mom sat and thought, oh. So she decided to bake him his favorite cookies and have them warm and serve them up right after school with some cool milk. For she just knew that when he came home that day, he'd be disappointed. And she thought maybe cookies and milk would ease the pain a little bit because it hurt her to think. She knew what Chad's classmates felt about him. And it hurt her to think that he wouldn't get many valentines, or maybe none at all. As the day went by and it came time for the students to be released from school, she got out the, uh, the, the mixer and the dough, and she got the cookies baked and got them out of the oven and on a plate, still warm. Milk was on the table, and then she heard them. She heard the children coming by. Sure enough, there they were, and they were laughing, and they were having the best of times. And as always, there was Chad a few steps in the rear. Nobody talking to him. But he did seem to walk a little faster than usual that day, and she fully expected him to get inside the house and to burst into tears. See, his arms were empty. And when the door opened, she choked back her own tears. And she said to her little guy, Mommy has some warm cookies and milk for you. But it was like Chad didn't hear what she said. He just walked up to the table and he kept saying to himself over and over again, not a one, not a one, not a one, not a one. And when his mom heard those words, her heart sank even lower. Tears began to form in her eyes until Chad added, not a one, not a one. I didn't forget a one. Not a single one. 
and his face beamed and his smile radiated. See, in his own way, little Chad was showing agape love. He showered love upon his classmates regardless of their response. That's how God loves. He's showering his love upon all mankind. He showered love through Jesus Christ's death on the cross. He loves today, and he continues to love. And his love is firm. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 35. These are words that many of us know. I'm going to repeat them again. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who agape or who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's agape, from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's God's love. That's how he defines it. It is perfect. It is immense. It is available. It's constantly there. It doesn't matter if you believe it. It doesn't matter if you accept it. It doesn't matter if you reject it. It's there because God is agape. It's his character. It is who he is, and he can do nothing outside of his character. You can't earn this love. It is God's gift to us. So, what does this mean? I said it's hard for me to describe the indescribable or the unimaginable, but I'll do it with words. You are loved by God beyond what you can imagine. You are loved by God beyond what you can imagine. You who are watching online today, maybe you tuned in. You don't know why you grabbed this particular uh, service, but you are loved beyond what you can imagine. Even today, if you're deep in sin, deep in sin, even if you don't believe that God could love you, you are loved beyond what, can you, what you could imagine. And if it sounds too good to be true, yes, it is. It is too good to be true. Well, it, it doesn't sound fair. I mean, why would everybody get this kind of love? It's, it's not fair, it's love. And I'll just be honest, I'm, I'm glad God wasn't perfectly fair because I would probably not be a recipient of his love. I'm glad that God's love is God's love, and it's available. As Angie shared today about individuals who are post-abortive and dealing with shame and other things, I think it's difficult for them to imagine that they could be loved. But I want to just say, yes, you can, because God is love and his love is available to you no matter what you've done what you're currently doing what you've gone through if you wish to his i mean his love is there for you and you can receive his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness 
And if it's too good to be true and you can't get your brain around it like I couldn't 35, 40 years ago, I can't remember when it was that I first really heard what God's love was like, then pray that God would supernaturally reveal it to you because that's what it's going to take. As the team makes its way to the platform, if you're a believer this morning, let this truth get deep inside of you and begin to respond to God knowing that you are loved with an unimaginable love. This love should cause you to relax when you think about him. It should cause you to relax when you pray because you don't have to earn his ear. Do you know how often I haven't prayed to God because when I wanted to pray, I saw how I had thought that week or how I had spoken that week or what I had done that week, and I, for some reason, felt that, why would God hear me after what I've done? Anybody relate to that? You don't have to earn God's ear. He's agape. And he wants to listen to you. And there's something, I'm, I'm, this, I don't know if this is grammatically correct, but I'm going to just state it the way I wrote it. He cannot not be agape. He cannot not be agape. And he loves you. The love of God is so unimaginable that looking at it from a worldly or a natural perspective, that kind of love is actually stupid. Why would anybody love like that? Why would God love the vilest person on earth with the same love that he has for somebody like Nathaniel, our worship leader, who you know is close to God, right? I don't know if they got that in a two-shot, but that was an interesting <laughs> response that I, just, that I just heard. If you didn't see it at home, he... Uh... It is stupid to our mind, but it's not stupid to God. It's love, and he wants you to receive it, to accept it, to walk in it, and receive the grace. For God so loved the world that he sacrificially gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes will not perish but have everlasting life. See, God's love is great. God's love is good, but God also gave you free will. And out of God's love, there does come a point where if you reject it, if you reject his free gift of grace, then there will be consequences for your sin, but God made a way. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And this morning, if you have not received his gift of grace, the grace of everlasting life, the grace of freedom for, from sin, the forgiveness of your sins, it's only one prayer away. God loves you. He's never stopped loving you. He loves you in the depth of your sin, and he loves you when you're doing well. He just loves. But if you've not opened your heart to him, this morning, if the Holy Spirit is prompting you this morning, would you, would you pray? And would you ask for his free gift of eternal life and forgiveness of sins? This kind of love we're talking about, from a natural perspective, also seems to be reckless. If you handle love that way, when you're pouring something precious out on people who don't appreciate it or understand it or who might not even receive it, that appears to be a reckless waste, but God says, no, 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 it's not wasted. I love people so much, there's nothing else I can do. 
I must appear stupid, and I must repair, appear reckless as I pour out my love, because agape love will go to whatever depths or heights it needs to to reach the object of God's affection. And the object of God's affection is you and I. Lord, you described your love, your indescribable, unimaginable love, through the words of the scriptures, through the actions of Jesus and the early church. Lord, help us to gain an understanding of that. Because as we do, as it becomes true in our own hearts, we will respond to you differently. We will respond to you boldly. We will come knowing our prayers will be heard. And we will be wanting to invite everyone to experience that love. Lord, even if it appears stupid or reckless, you poured your love out. And I thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Stand if you would. Team is going to lead us in that song, Reckless Love. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down. shadow you won't light up mountain you won't climb up coming after me there's no wall you won't kick down lie you won't tear down coming after me there's no shadow you won't light up mountain you won't climb up
prompting to ask Angie to come back on stage and to just talk a little bit from her own story as to what the love of God did within her own heart. Angie, would you take just a few minutes? Yes, so um, after my abortion, um, I, over the next probably month or so, started getting really um, physically ill. And I didn't know what was causing the physical illness and, of course, had no connection that that physical illness was related somehow to my abortion. So my mom, being in all of her wisdom, decided I needed to go see a doctor and find out why it is that every single evening I would get violently ill. And so, of course, the doctor couldn't find anything because, you know, it was emotional. There was nothing physically wrong with me. And at the end of our time together, the doctor and I, he prescribed me Prozac. And I knew that I was depressed and that I was saddened by what had happened, but I didn't realize that for the next several years, and I'm talking years and years, I lived in a very deep depression, um, a self-worth that was very low. I valued myself very little. And um, I, this, at this point, I was 20 years old. Um, at the age of 26, I re recommitted my life to the Lord. At 27, I went through the post-abortive study um, through Clarity and began to realize truly who I was in Christ. It transformed me. Knowing the love of God and what he really thinks about me transformed me. I remember our pastor at this time was talking about um, the righteousness of Christ and how I can live in that righteousness of Christ. And I remember driving down the road saying, God, how is it that you can love me, this wretched person that I am, this person that does not deserve any of it whatsoever, none of this love, how is it that you can see me like you see me? How is it that you can love me like you love me? How is it that you will call me a daughter of yours after I've done what I've done? But he said, Angie, I do. I love you with a depth that you will never understand. And I remember looking up to him. I was driving in my car and I said, okay, if that's what you say about me, I accept it. I am your daughter. That makes me a princess. And believe me, from that time on, I started walking as though I were a princess of the mighty, powerful God that we serve. It's not about us. It's about him. It's who he is. It's his love that makes us who we are today. And I am so thankful that that young girl who, who lived in depression for so many years, who would, who would, um, would, would bow her head, not in adoration to God, but in um, loneliness and um, um, shame and regret that I don't have to live in that shame anymore because God's love transcends. Thank you. Thank you. See, that's what I meant when I said earlier that when you begin to catch this, it changes you and how you will respond to God. Angie said that when she responded to God in her depression and in her shame, she would bow before him, but she wasn't bowing in adoration or worship. And I'm not sure if you can see me at home because they're standing. She was bowing in shame, but that shame changed to bowing in worship when she understood and 
experience the truth of God's love. And sometimes it's a progressive truth. While I understood it 35, 40 years ago and it was first presented to me and I said, this is too good to be true, it still took a while to break through all of the teaching of the past, all of the earning that I suppose I, I thought I needed to do. But God, but God will continue to work with you this morning, this morning at home here in the building. If you need to experience supernaturally God's love for you, just bow your heads and everyone, I want everybody to pray this prayer. But those of you who really need to experience, I want you to pray it. But because everybody's praying it, you'll be able to say it out loud. And at home, say it out loud also. Say, Lord, I need to experience your love for me in a new and powerful and supernatural way. I want to experience agape. Touch me now. In Jesus' name. One of the reasons I like the song that we are singing is that those lines that go, there's, there's no mountain he won't climb up. There's no dark place that he won't go. Angie was in a dark place. She was in a place, but God kept going after her, coming after her, coming after her until she was able to respond. Let's sing that again as we begin to wind down this morning. There's no mountain he won't climb up. No shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up. Jesus, when we were utterly helpless, you came at just the right time and died for us sinners. God, you showed your great agape for us by sending Christ to die while we were still sinners. You are so rich in mercy and you loved us, you agaped us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, you gave us life when you raise Christ from the dead, it is
is only by God's grace that we have been saved. Lord, I pray right now supernaturally that you take the scripture, the words I have spoken, the words that Angie has spoken, and especially for the one who is finding this news too good to be true. Help them to understand and help them to receive it, to grow in it. Their life may be transformed. In Jesus' name. You've been listening to a message from Columbus First Assembly. We hope that you've been encouraged in your spiritual journey. If you're not part of a local church and would like to attend one of our regular services, our church is located at the corner of 10th and Iowa Street in Columbus, Indiana. Our Sunday morning worship services start at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday evening studies begin at 7 p.m. And while you're online, check out our website at columbusfirstassembly.org for details and information about our church. You will also find other messages and series that you can listen to or download. Thanks for spending some time with us and for taking advantage of this resource from Columbus First Assembly, where we strive to learn and live the word and ways of God.